Alright, so I am, I just turned on voice memo on my laptop in case uh, my 5 megabyte per second Chiapas internet fails on me. I'd like to record this another way because this is something I've been wanting to do for a very long time. And I think I'm finally ready to um, come out of hiding, if you will. So this will be episode one of The World Less Traveled. Um, Two L's, the British way. Um, The reason for that is because I was able to buy that domain name. The one with one L was taken. Think of Curtis Yarvin, who has... um, his new Substack or blog is called, I think, like Gray Matter. Great, but it's like Gray the American way as opposed to the British way. So I had to go the British way, but I'm definitely an Anglophile and have a lot of British friends. So um, we'll just have to get used to this for now until I can afford to buy out the other domain, the American version of Traveled. Now, let me explain quickly the um, the, the meaning of the name is... Uh, so I'm from New Hampshire originally. It's been since high school, since I lived there, since I was 18. I haven't really, I've been back, but uh, to visit my parents, of course. But uh, I don't really consider myself as a New Hampshireite, of course, but I definitely grew up there. And uh, in southern New Hampshire, you know, it's, you know, maybe to take the mystique or the the mysticism out of it, but the way that I explain it to people, trusted friends that I'm you know, not looking to impress, I say it's basically... You know, Boston, it's the Boston suburbs north that's, you know, for, and it's a different state and a lot of people move there for uh, tax reasons, um, but it's basically suburbs with trees. And uh, maybe in another episode I'll talk about that. It's very interesting how, like, rather than fences or walls, um, like some neighbors or suburbs might have, we just have trees. Big white pines, um, they're the fastest growing tree in uh, the northeast, and so they just, and we have hemlocks too, um, but basically, like most of my neighbors, like I never saw them. But I, I you know, our next door neighbors, of course, we we knew at least one of them. Um, but basically, we just have these trees barricading us from our neighbors, and it's a you know, it's kind of a, an isolating, strange, almost dystopian way to grow up. Um, but I digress a bit. I'll get into that in a, in a later episode. Um, but what I do want to say about New England that's very interesting is that, and, and this time I was learned this from my best friend from high school, who is kind of the, the co-star of this podcast. Even though he's not, uh, you know, I didn't invite him to to come on here for various reasons. But uh, he was the one that told. He said, you know, back he he was obsessed with trees. He was a big. He was really into smoking weed in high school. I was a star athlete, so drugs were were not at all like or drinking were not on the table for me at all I was in a way sheltered but again I was a state champion athlete ended up competing D1 uh, the Ivy League we we were Ivy League champions my junior year in cross country and I also did long distance uh, track and field Um, but anyways he said you know these trees they weren't here 300 or you know 200 years ago Um, because of the industrial revolution all of the um you know, sorry, I, I, I should have brushed up on this, but basically, like, because of the Industrial Revolution, you have Lowell, Massachusetts, you have um, Manchester, New Hampshire, Nashua, New Hampshire, you have these big mill buildings where they were manufacturing, uh, you know, garments and fabric, and a lot of the agriculture moved south. 
the, the, the soil, uh, the terrain in New Hampshire and New England is very rocky and it's not the most conducive to um, growing crops. And so a lot of the agriculture shifted south and so these trees grew back. But the first settlers in New England, they broad brush cut down all of the trees. Um, some of them were marked, um, I forget whether, whether it was pine or what kind of tree it was, um, but with the, the king's stamp. And there's still some that you can see um, for the Royal Navy. Um, and there are some that, for whatever reason, were never cut down. Um, but it is very rare in you know, most of the United States, especially in the East, to see you know, virgin forest, forest that hasn't, cut, hasn't been cut down. Um, if you, you know, in my backyard, my parents had four acres growing up, we would hike in the, the woods, and you know, there's a lot of trees, um, but you would see stone walls. And what my friend, um, let's just call him, uh, like Adam, let's call him Adam, uh, he said, you know, 200 years ago, these were all cut down and this was all pasture. And sure enough, if you go back in the history books, you go into certain textbooks, you can see depictions of the New England terrain, and it looked very much like England. You had, you know, stone wall partitions, and you had sheep, and you, it was very much a pastoral landscape. All of the trees were cut down. Again, many of them were, uh, you know, used in terms of building the, the British Navy, um, or, you know, obviously for firewood or other purposes. Now, and this will be another episode, there are a few um, virgin forests in the Northeast. I think there's one in New York, maybe the Adirondacks. There's one in New Hampshire abutting the uh, White Mountain National uh, Forest and uh, Mount Washington, which is a very amazing uh, mountain that I've climbed a, a couple of times. Called, uh, in the Native Americans called it Agiokuchuk. And uh, there you will find like giant birch trees that are 600 years old. And it is really amazing. I had a very special experience in that forest once in the middle of the summer back in 2014. Um, but that will be another episode. Um, so again, I've rambled and, and probably lost my audience here. And probably I'll edit most of this um, preamble out. Um, but just wanted, I guess I just wanted to kind of get into motion, start speaking, yada, yada. And uh, so from here, I will dive into the story. So... Let's set the scene. I was um, graduating from Columbia University 2011. I was a recruited athlete, which is a whole side story. Um, in term, you know, I generally try and hide the fact that I went to Columbia University because A, people think like, oh, you must have an IQ of 160. I don't. Um, you must be you know, a genius or rocket scientist, this or that. You, and you must like, have a lot of money, um, which like I have gotten by, but that has not been a priority in my life thus far. Um, fortunately, work that I'm doing is changing that, but, you know, I, I didn't follow the track. And, you know, a lot of my classmates and specifically teammates, right, because when you do a, a, a Division One sport, um, you know, you, you live, you eat, you train, um, you sleep with your fellow, uh, you know, teammates. And, and so we were very close. And, you know, some of them went off and did different things. Quite a few of them went and did the traditional economics track and went to, you know, they, they studied economics. They, they cheated in their calculus and they uh, got a job at Credit Suisse or Goldman Sachs or what have you. And, you know, were making $200,000 in 2011 or, you know, right out of, right out of college, which is good for them. And, um, but I didn't follow that track, right? And, and so 
I often try and hide the fact that I went to like an Ivy League school because, again, it's people have certain presumptions about that. They they, they make certain assumptions, and uh, you know, and also like. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it also like can be like a badge or a thing that people use to like intimidate or use as a status symbol. And I'd rather just people know me as Anthony, just know me as like who I am, which I'd like to think is a good person and uh, you know a loving person that wants the best for everyone. You know, almost to a fault, like in a naive way. Um, so, anyways, graduated from um, from Columbia in 2011. I maintained a very close relationship with one of my best friends from high school who ended up becoming my best friend, you know, during this time period. Right. And I would just ask you to imagine like Seth Rogen. Um, and again, not to demean him because, you know, Seth Rogen obviously is like a comic actor and a caricature of a stoner. But there were a lot of similarities between my friend Adam and Seth Rogen. To the point, and, and again, during this time is when Pineapple Express came out, when Seth Rogen was like kind of at the peak of his career and fame. And my friend loved weed. He loved wearing like a, a beanie hat and uh, having a beard and smoking weed and laughing like, <laughs> and uh, so people would make that comparison. We would be out and be like, oh, your buddy's like, you know, I introduced him to my college friends and they would be like, oh, your buddy's Seth Rogen. I'm like, yeah, he is. So and just to, you know, Put that in your mind um, of, you know, obviously, he's his own person with a complex personality that's different than Seth Rogen. But just to give you an idea of who you can imagine in your head as you're listening to this story, which I hope and think you'll, you'll find, you know, riveting and interesting. I certainly do. Um, so we went out the night before um, with my girlfriend who I stayed with for another few years. She's my college girlfriend. She, um, her mother's from France. She took me to France. She was the one who brought me to Europe, opened my eyes to Europe and France and the culture. And she, you know, we're still in touch and good friends. And she, you know, just benefited my life in so many ways. And it didn't work out uh, romantically, but I have, you know, the deepest respect and appreciation for her. And, uh, and she was going to meet me, you know, she was going to come to Europe in a few weeks or, you know, we would meet up. So it wasn't like we were saying goodbye forever for a long time. Um, but you know, we were college kids and she's like, you're going on a Euro trip with your best friend. Maybe you'll hook up with another girl. And she was like, even okay with that. Um, but you know, it was still hard, but so we spent time with her, some of my other friends. And then the next morning we took the the bus to you know John F. Kennedy Airport and my friend had some food on him that had some special properties that were making me kind of stressed out because I you know enjoyed this with him a bit but I was also like it just made me nervous and that's just my I'm <laughs> just a bit neurotic and uh, so in that moment I was like I was seeing TSA and NYPD walking by. I was like, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. And uh, so he ate what he could of these special crackers. And then he was mad at me for being nervous about it. But I don't know. I, I it, it is what it is. And then we went to the desk. And long story short, my brother had enlisted in the Navy. I was going to take him on this trip to Berlin I bought the tickets many months in advance, and I told Adam, I was like, I'm going to give the tickets to you. You should call the airline. It was Air Berlin, I think, and make sure that they're not going to charge you extra, yada, yada. 
and he maybe did, maybe, but like either way, they're like, you, it was a $400 change of name on ticket fee. And now he had sold his car. He'd sold like a bunch of stuff. He, he um, you know, I didn't grow up like super well off, but he grew up like definitely not well off. And so he had $3,200 to his name. I remember the amount. And so that was like 400 out of that. And he was planning on, you know, just living in Europe as long as he could. So he was rip shit. He was like pissed. And he was like, he couldn't really be pissed at me, but he was pissed at me. He was pissed at the airline and he was pissed at God and he was pissed at the world. And then I made a mistake where I tried to check in a bag and then I realized I had another bag that had a knife in it. And so, I, and then that was like another $75 for me. So we both got screwed, him worse than I did, um, but we were not happy campers. We were not in a good mood. And so we, we, we go through security, we're walking through and we like both plug our headphones in and uh, we're both just like not talking to each other. We're just, you know, we're 19, 20 years old. No, we're 21, 22 years old, I guess. And, uh, and we're not, we're just not in a good mood. Like it, it was not a good thing that just happened. And I felt, I felt bad, but also, you know, it wasn't my fault. I gave him the ticket for free. Right. Um, but so we get to the, the gate and where the, you know, we were there a couple hours early and he had eaten the crackers. I hadn't, he was starting to feel the effects. We sit down and within 30 seconds, we hear this voice, this old woman, this German woman with a German voice. And she, she, she goes, and this is a full terminal, right? So imagine like in JFK, everyone in their seats, every seat is taken, uh, you know, let's say it's an hour and a half before the flights to take off. And, uh, we both sit down, but we get like the two last seats. And then we hear this voice go, you boys, you boys with your ear thingies in your ear. She goes, and, and we're like, what? What? When we're like, where is this voice coming from? And then we look right across and there's this 80 year old German woman right across from us. And she's staring at us and she goes, how will you know when somebody comes up behind you in the back with a knife? to stab you in the back. And she like gets up and she's like animated and she's like gesturing, like stabbing us in the back with a knife. And we're just like, what? We literally like everyone in the terminal, everyone at the seats like looks at us and is kind of like, like they're, they're kind of embarrassed for us that we're being targeted by this lady and called out. But they're also kind of jealous that like we've got her intention because like right away she seems cool. And... Sure enough, she launches into a tirade for like the full time until, you know, first call, second call, you know, okay, uh, you know, priority boarding, first, you know, whatever it is. She just was talking to us and she's like, and she's explained, she was like, yes, I'm from Berlin. I, I lived through the war, I, uh, but I, I had two sons. And she goes, I'm a boy mother, which I, I loved when she says, she's it's like, she's a wolf mother. She goes, I'm a boy mother. I raised boys two boys and uh, I won't say what their names are, but she's like one of her two sons moved to New Jersey or in the Northeast. And one of her granddaughters was graduating from Rutgers university. And uh, so that's why she was, she was there. And so she explained that. And, uh, but she just went on and on and she was giving us all of this life advice. Like if that had been the only interaction that we had had with her, it still would have indelibly like left a mark on my life and uh, I never would have forgot it. It was that powerful, but (laughs) we spent more time with her as, as I'll explain. 
Um, but she went on and, and she was saying, you know, uh, did you have a girlfriend? And my friend was like, no. And I was like, yeah, I do. Was like, she goes, don't get tied down to any one girl. You are young, experienced, different girls. <laughs> and like people are laughing and listening. She goes, my, my brother, he, he worked on a boat, a steamer. You, I, I could get you a job with him. He's 87, but he, he knows the, the, the boat uh, you know, industry in, the, in Germany, in Hamburg. And I could get you a job on a steamer and you could travel the world and you could meet girls from all over the world. And she's just like saying, but she, there was deep wisdom in it. And it also like she cared about us. She like knew that we were two young, you know, boys, but college graduates going on a Euro trip, exploring the world. And it was with love that she said these things. And, you know, I wish I could remember more or had recorded it, you know. Um, but anyways, we, we, we bored and, and, so then finally it's like, okay, we, we really have to get on the plane because she wouldn't stop talking to us. And she gives us a, a card. She takes it out of like this little golden purse. She like snaps it like from the 1930s. And uh, she gives us each a card. She goes, this is my, my card. Um, she, goes, she goes, where are you staying in Berlin? And we, 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 I, I had planned everything. And so I found this hostel in East Berlin, which we'll get into. And... Uh, you know, she's like, Kunaststrasse, I think it was called. And she goes, oh, never heard of it. And she was kind of like, that's a sketchy area. I could kind of see she was saying that, you know, but didn't want to say it. And uh, she goes, she looks us right in the eye. She goes, if you boys get in trouble in Berlin, she goes, give me a call. And the card we looked at, it had her name and just her phone number. There was no like, uh, you know, job, title or company. It was just her name, which I won't say, and her and her number. It would be a plus three, uh, three, four, I think is Germany. Um, and uh, so, you know, and, and again, we, uh, you know, we put it in our um, plus four, nine. So we, we put it in our, our wallets and we got on the flight and, you know, we, we flew from New York to Berlin. And uh, I remember they were playing uh, Jack Black was in like uh, the Gulliver's, Gulliver's Travels movie, which was, seemed terrible. Um, then we get off the flight and we, we see her, we're going through customs and we run into her again as we're shuffling off the plane. And there's these two girls from like Sweden or, and, uh, right away she, it, she comes up to us. She's like, how was the flight? You know? And she goes, I saw you go to the bathroom. My friend started laughing. I was like, it was like a weird detail. She's like, I saw you, you going to the bathroom. I'm like, I guess I did. And, uh, and then she immediately like went to these two girls. She's like, you girls, these boys, I, I know them. They are good boys. They, they are going to Euro trip in Berlin and they, they, you will have a great time. I could, they, they are good character and, uh, and uh, you, should, you should get their numbers and go and, and spend time with them. And the girls were like, uh, we're in high school, we're 17. And then she was like, okay, okay. And we're like, yeah, please don't, we don't want to get arrested like right when we get to Europe. And so she's like, okay, okay, but you, you'll find other girls. <laughs> and uh, then she's saying, like, uh, my son, he's coming to pick me up. I could, we could drive you to the, the, the hostel. And my buddy was like, thanks for that, but I really want to talk to the airline to try and get my money back. Uh, he wasn't successful. We, we got her back. We met her son. And then my buddy, he did study some German, so he helped us actually get you know, through the, uh, the buses and the public transport. We got to East Berlin. We got to our hostel. And... Uh, dropped our bags and uh and then 
yeah, so that kind of starts part two. So I think what I'm going to do, I feel like I need a break. This has been 20 minutes. Um, I, I don't know how people can go for like an hour or two hours, but um, I'm probably going to do episode two as just Berlin. I feel like New York City to Berlin, I feel like I did that. So um, I am going to close this here now and then start it up maybe today, um, maybe soon. But uh, if you listened, thanks for listening. This is my first podcast. I was a bit nervous. Hopefully I get a little bit more uh, used to it. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And I can promise you that it's going to get really good. I've got some good stories that I'm excited to share with you all and in the world. Um, much love and have a good have a good night.